0: Boop boop boop. Druids in cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Do do do
1: do. do, 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 do. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them. Reflections on what we did and heard. Anticipation of what's to come. And processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. Sit back and enjoy Druids, in cars, going to festivals.
0: So, we're in a different car than usual.
1: Yeah, but
0: this is the new normal. This is the new normal. Uh, we, we may end up recording perhaps one or two other episodes in the previous car that I used to drive, but that seems doubtful as time goes on as well. Yeah. We both have new blue cars. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but today we want to talk about sympathy and contagion and adapting magical work.
1: No, I think you should back up. We should, it, there's these things, they're neat, they're called the laws of magic. <laughs> yes,
0: I was going to get to that.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, maybe we should start there.
0: We can start there. So, and I assume that you're referring to Isaac Bonowitz, Real Magic, and his list of... I
1: think there's 21...
0: Something like Something that.
1: Something like
0: that, yeah. Uh, and there's, there are laws of similarity and contagion, which we'll talk about. Uh, there are also higher laws and sub-laws, which we'll also mention, I'm sure. Uh, but Isaac had spent a lot of time trying to categorize magic, and in so doing, crafted a number of laws that we ourselves have sort of managed to uh, use and adapt over time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it's cool because it, it falls into the category of the way I do magic, which is, well, if it's working, then I guess we'll keep using it. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, that is also how I do magic. Um, but in this particular discussion, we wanted to talk about I guess kind of specifically the, um, the, the laws of attraction, the two that he mentions, which are, well, he terms similarity, not sympathy, but we're going to talk almost certainly about sympathetic magic because that's the language that you that's and I use. That's
1: the language we use, yeah. Uh,
0: and also uh, contagion. Both of these are subsets of Bonowitz's Law of Attraction. And so I guess we should probably start with the difference between these two. So similarity or sympathy, you want to define you want me to define? Uh,
1: you define this one, and then once we get on the highway, I can do the other
0: one. That sounds good. <laughs> so
1: Because rush hour is not my favorite.
0: <laughs> so sympathy uh, or similarity is the idea that you can take something that is like another thing and use it to give access to that thing that you want to impact. Uh, Both sympathy and contagion deal with the notion that if two things, say A and B, have something in common, you can use that common thing to sort of impact one or both of them. And in this case, the law of sympathy is Oh, it's it's kind of like a simile, not a metaphor. It's something is like something else, so you can use that something to uh, to change it.
1: Yeah, and I would say that the more alike things are, the better that resonance will be. Yes, like you could use two things that are green or two things that are the same size, and yes, they're like that is one axis of similarity, but that. Well, like, it'll only
0: get you so far, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the common comparison is, you know, is it comparing apples to oranges? They're both fruits, you know, they both have uh, a certain level of acidity, but we know that they are different, and they are different enough that most people don't think of them as being closely related. Right. And so you can play with that as you will, I suppose. So... That would be your law of sympathy. Contagion.
1: So, contagion, uh, especially in this post-COVID world, hooray, <laughs> um, is is the idea that when things get close to each other, some of their germy essence uh, <laughs> gets on other stuff around them. And so, uh, in the terms of magic and allowing one thing to step in place of another. This is the idea that if you put an object that, say, isn't easy to transport, maybe, and you put some other stuff with it, that then the other things you've put with it can be used in place of the big thing that's hard to transport. Um, So, as an example, you could go to a really big statue of something, and you could put coins or strips of fabric around it, and to access the uh, the coin to access the power of whatever that deity in that statue is, you could use those coins away from that location. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to allow you to transfer the the juju, the germy juju of whatever the the um, main. Magical item is, and make it easier to get to. Essentially,
0: yeah. Now the other part of that too is you can take pieces and parts of something that have the. I'm going to go less germy and more linguistic on you here. Okay. Um, <laughs> the the essence of something, the from uh, from the Greek "wis,"a the the notion that uh, a part of something holds. Power of the the th- power th- of the whole. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, and so little things can transfer access from one thing to another, uh, and allow you to manipulate it there. Uh, we see a little
1: bit of that when we do our um, our bridge brats uh, for Immulk to gather the power of the goddess Brigid, or Brigando, where one of the Grove members lays out a like a cloak of fabric, right, like a, a bolt of fabric, and then cuts it into strips. And the strips are distributed. Mm-hmm. Because yep. the strips hold the power of the whole.
0: Yep, And we do that every year at Anagantios. Um, Shining keeps those, keeps that tradition, and then we stop there first and pick them up and take them with us. And uh, that whole process you know, just spreads the blessings, <laughs> as you will. Um... And we say is the, the Greek for that, the notion of essence. Um, it, it kind of means I am or being is I guess kind of the, the way to think about it. Um, there wasn't a direct linguistic translation, which is where, how we get essence or even substantia in Latin from it. Um, but the thing is, it doesn't have to be a lot. To cause that contagion. It can be very small pieces. Uh, We think about uh, the the idea of poppet magic where you would take some hair and Mm -hmm. sew it into a a poppet or a figure and then you can use that to manipulate a person or a thing um, or to heal a person or draw money to that person or whatever it might be. Um, And we see it everywhere. This is the this is a very common process throughout the world. Uh, you can think about Josh money, uh, where people give.
1: What is Josh money?
0: It's fake paper money that is burned or given to the ancestors so that oh, they can have money. Oh, is common
1: in Asian practices? A yes. Lot? Okay.
0: Yes, um, it is occasionally referred to also as hell money, uh, which. I don't actually know the etymology of that, but I'm going to assume that it's probably colonial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure sounds like it, doesn't it? Uh, which is why I went with Josh Money. But the uh, the idea there is you're not offering actual dollar bills, and they don't even have to be real denominations, but you offer them and it provides cash in non-symbolic denomination to the spirits in the other world. Huh. Uh, and so... This kind of thing is is common throughout the world. We see it literally everywhere, uh, and but I think that the reason that you initially brought it up is because you had a project that you were working on.
1: Yeah. So, so and I think we've talked about it before that I'm I'm working uh, as a prison chaplain now.
0: I don't know if we have actually mentioned that before, but yeah. Okay, well,
1: hooray! <laughs> I I am working as a prison chaplain now, and uh, so one of the things that my uh, my inmates are restricted on is like the things they can have with them. And for them, a lot of... I think they maybe used to be able to have herbs and then policies changed and now they're not allowed anymore. And so a lot of them have done various bits of spell work with herbs in the past or in their home practice when they were on the outside. And... Still want that spiritual connection of doing that work, but don't have access to the materials. And so I brainstormed a little bit, and I'm a big fan of coloring pages, and so are they. So I found um, on Etsy, I bought some coloring pages that are realistic drawings of various magical herbs. And so I had this idea of, like, okay, well, Law of Similarity, like, these should still work. And I, I kind of reached out across various networks, and I was like, hey, should, would Law of Contagion be better? Would Law of, of Similarity be better? Like, should I try and do both? Like, what's the feel on this? Um, so that's as far as I've gotten right now, and I've just made copies of the coloring pages. And I haven't done anything else with really it yet.
0: I think, that obviously, the theory of sound, um, because you could use the likeness, the drawing mm-hmm. of something to imply. I mean, that's exactly what figural magic is. That's what a poppet is. You're creating a representation of it and then using it to manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. So, totally on board there. Um, I think that, for sure, you you've got a path with that. Now, whether or not that works for everyone... You know, I think it's going to be different for every...
1: Right, and, like, it is certainly not ideal, right? Like, in a perfect world, they would have access to um, the objects that they want or need to use. Um, But that's not where we are right now. So, this is a substitute, which I think can be beneficial, like, if we take this outside of the institution setting and move it to your traveling, your... Just living somewhere where you don't have easy access to herbs. You're short on money and you can't get the ones you want. Like, there's lots of applications for it, I think.
0: Or, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're trying to do a working all together and you end up printing off coloring pages and doing just that, which is what we did. Yeah. Many times, actually, in the pandemic. We had a uh, uh, one of our, our Grove members, uh, Tracy... Drew a number of coloring pages. Yeah, I think we had
1: one for almost every high day there for a while.
0: I think we did, which was, frankly, pretty awesome. And I will (laughs)
1: say that I think it came from uh, Mike, started Mm -hmm. with our uh, Gobnet beehive, where we used the whiteboard function on Zoom to, like, draw a sigil together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and we did that as well with uh, the whiteboard function for our... Um, equus, right? yeah. Echos, yeah. So we, we, we usually paint a horse every July, but we couldn't get together in July of 2020, so we used the whiteboard functionality and a picture of a horse that I believe Tracy drew. I
1: think so, yeah. Um,
0: and we painted on that and drew our symbols on that, and now we've got a, a screenshot <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of <Yeah>. the whiteboard <laughs> as kind of our, our reminder of that, so... Yes. There are lots of applications outside of a prison yeah. for what you're looking to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's 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 interesting, especially once you start brainstorming for something like this, how many more applications just start to yeah. appear.
1: Yeah, It's So I brought this up to you a, a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. Um, had you come up with anything else in the meantime that would be like good, adaptable stuff?
0: I had not specifically, I mean, my my initial gut reaction, because you'd asked about contagion and and all this, and my first thought with working with prisoners is, of course, the horrendous rule system that is put in place around them and the notion that... You know the the reason for a lot of those rules is obviously blown out of proportion, but they're they're there to keep drugs out of the system they're there to keep contraband out of the system and my first thought when you mentioned putting the herbs with the image i know and like, getting it... the scent on there was that's going to alert a drug sniffing dog somewhere and that's yeah. just going to lead to problems so <laughs> maybe not for this application but for other applications
1: yes put... with rocks i could do it yeah <laughs> probably not with herbs yeah that's kind of what i settled on was maybe let's
0: maybe not this one yeah, yeah. and Again, this is certainly not an endorsement of that particular policy. That is, this is—it <laughs> is in fact abhorrent to me that that would be the place that I have to go with that in my head. Yeah. But it's—it's it's a reality of dealing with this sort of population and dealing with where where we are in our awful uh, yeah penal system <laughs> here in America.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's hard too because the. The policies, you know, they partly depend on who's enforcing them and for what reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And they vary from state to state and institution to institution, which makes it hard. So, like, because I've done a lot of talking with um, Reverend Kirk Thomas, and he works with inmates out in Washington State and, like, on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have very different, in a lot of cases... Uh, rules about what they can and can't have and can and can't do. Um, for instance, like, his, his inmates a lot of times will make beautiful artwork, right, yeah. to bring to Wellspring. Mine are not allowed to have any homemade religious items. So they can't make... Anything. Anything. They are allowed to have sheets of paper. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with, like, coloring sheets are where it's at.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I understand that because at the Magical Druid, we are now pretty much the only metaphysical store that provides anything to prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for a while, there were other stores, other big resellers, other things like that that would service prisons, and they're all gone. They, they've they stopped doing it. And I understand why, having, you know, dealt with it myself. But it is very difficult to get anything into a prison. So you have to come up with alternatives yep. all the time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, it's, it's good that I am already, I do a lot of adaptations in any magical work that I do, because again, it comes down to, for me, like, does it work? Like, what can I do to make it work? And I've never been a big stuff person um, in any of my magical workings. So the idea of having to have specific items and specific, like, physical, tangible things is something that I've always worked around, mostly because I just, it, I don't know, it's not a thing that ever called to me. Yeah. But that means that I've done a lot of adaptations And so I'm able to share that for people who don't want to, but are now in this position where they're kind of stuck with it.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, that's, it is probably the most extreme of those examples, obviously. Yeah. But anyone who's had to move into a dorm and couldn't have candles, or anyone who has joined the military and couldn't take things to boot camp, all of these things are common places where you have to adapt your work. Yeah. And... It's a it's a useful skill. it's a well, it's not only a useful skill, it is it's practically a survival skill in many cases because everyone runs into those places where they have to practice with nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that can be really hard, especially when you set up rules for yourself. I mean, I've talked before on this podcast about uh, the flame of hope work that I did and mm-hmm. how I got stuck in an airport. yeah, where you know, one day, there was there was a time that I remember where you could buy things like matches and lighters, after, you know, past security. But uh, you can't do that anymore. And if you don't have your matches or lighters, there's nothing you can do. And frankly, starting a fire in an airport is frowned upon. I'm frowned upon, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to find ways to adapt. So I hit up the chapel. I, I found... Uh, the, the fake flame that they had burning in there. And I used that for a little bit. I got really lucky. I landed before midnight and was able to get my flame on. But uh, it, was, it was a close run there. And I had to figure out what rules I felt were acceptable to break or how to bend them in a way that made sense. And I ended up using the followers of the Facebook page to light their own candles,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I used, as I mentioned, the interfaith rooms candle that was electric. I used uh, the empty tin and the unlit candle, which was in my pocket, as kind of the the picture for that day to get things kind of rolling. And so I was able to bend the rules where I needed to to make it work in the in the immediate need. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the skill that we're talking about here. Yeah. And I think part of that has to do... I've I've been mucking about recently with definitions of magic. And I've read a lot of definitions of magic. I've read a lot of ways that people look at magic. In fact, I was just reading reading Bonowitz Real Magic before you came and picked me up, which is how I know that, you know, (laughs) contagion and sympathy are subsets of the law of attraction. But the notion that magic is access, has become very powerful to me recently. How do you mean? So I've had people describe magic as power, the ability to do things. I've had people describe magic as will over love, love under will, whatever. You know, there's lots of different things like that. The ability to manipulate reality in accordance with your will, yada, yada, yada none of those have ever felt good to me in terms of what they actually do and where the magic actually comes from. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking more about magic as access. As the ability to either access something yourself or to grant access to another person. And whether that access is access to spiritual connection Uh, in the case of our religious work so we do ritual and the magical act in that and all the magical acts really around that are designed to give access to the powers and access to the people for the powers Mm -hmm. as well and so when I think about why we do magic and ritual it's to open that access it's to unlock that gate it's to walk through that door It probably has a lot to do with my notions of accessibility as being important. You know, we want to create an accessible experience for folks. And having someone listen to you, having someone say, yes, your needs are important. Yes, we're going to provide the kind of access that you want is an inherently magical experience. And it can be life-changing. And yeah, you get power out of that. But the magic is not in having the power. The magic is in accessing it, feeling it, understanding it, having it there in front of you and you can hold it in your hands. I think that's where the magic is versus where, you know, just the raw power. I don't think the raw power is the magic anymore.
1: Well, and I don't, I don't think I ever was in the camp of like magic is raw power because... When I first had to, in, in coursework, they ask, like, what is magic, or provide yeah. a definition, or something. And I defined it as prayer with intent. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, it's never been, like, this will to do something, or making something happen. It, it has been that, like, and part of that is just because I very much do theurgic magic. Um, but it's about, yeah, what you're saying, like, accessing the spirits in my case. Yeah.
0: Now you've got me curious, what did I write when I answered that question? (laughs) And I don't know that I ever actually answered that specific question in my uh, magical work because I don't think that when I did, or in my study program, I don't think it was one of the requirements when I did it, which is annoying because I'd really like to know what I might have written there. Yeah, maybe Magic 2 had it. No, I don't think it did.
1: Huh. Yeah, I don't remember what course it was in, but I remember having to come up with a definition.
0: Well, we have better courses these days. We produce better magicians anyway. <laughs> um, now, I don't think that I was ever really solidly in a magic as power kind of camp. It, again, it never really sat for me. But, but when how you does s-
1: this... Yeah. Uh, I'm going to send you on another tangent here. Okay. Because um, you started with a whole lot of chaos magic. So where,
0: <laughs> yeah. where does
1: that all fit into this for you?
0: Specifically into the access, or into the, how do I modify and and make stuff work?
1: Uh, well, the, f- uh, I was referring more to the first one. How, into your definition of what magic is, and seeing it as access now, uh, and coming from a place of chaos magic. Uh,
0: well, so, chaos magic is fascinating, and we can have a whole episode on that sometime if you really want to. But... My, that bus does not look healthy with all that smoke. Anyway, it's <laughs> uh, a lot of smoke out of that tailpipe. Um, but the uh, chaos magic, as I have always practiced it, and, and as I continue to practice it, because I still consider myself a chaotic in many ways, is about finding what works for you. And in that process of finding what works for you, it's really about not necessarily finding the power or finding the, the way that stuff works or, or even necessarily tinkering with it uh, until it works. A lot of people take a very science-based approach to, or, well, science-esque approach <laughs> to, uh, to chaos magic. And for me, it was always about finding the way to reach out and craft something useful and the end use of magic for me has always been how can i take this and apply it and let other people feel what i'm feeling and so i guess in a way it's kind of always been that i've just not had the language around it
1: yeah so it sounds kind of like you now you view magic itself as access and yes. maybe early on you viewed magic as an avenue
0: ab- toward the access the ability
1: to create access
0: Yes. I think that might be what it was. And for sure, I did my best to create access yeah. with that magic. Uh, I, I worked very hard. I mean, the, the the central druid moon right that we do, hmm, as we drive toward a druid moon, <laughs> was designed to give people access to the community of the cranes. Mm-hmm. And so... The reason that there is a token bestowed upon a person during that process is because it grants them a symbol of access, uh, a thing that they can hold in their hand that says, yes, I've passed the tests, I've been through the gates, the doors are wide open for me and I can pass through them at any time and, perhaps more importantly, I can bring other people through it because I know what the symbol means, I know what this token does. And so, yeah, I mean, when I designed that ritual, I was designing it in a way that kind of tweaked the boundaries of stuff we do in ADF and tried to connect those dots of historical information and uh, the end product of inspiration as well, bringing those things together. But at the end of the day, I mean, the reason that we did it was not to create an outside where people who didn't have tokens would have to stand, but to create a, a, path, a, pathway. Yeah, yeah. a pathway through which you could pass and receive the keys that you need to come that way again and to unlock the door for the next person. Which, I mean, the first time I couldn't go to a druid moon where someone got a token... Someone else had to tell the story. That might have been if you. It was
1: probably me. <laughs> it's
0: either you, it might have been Missy, it might have been uh, Seamus. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I mean, other people have told the story, and it's not like I sit down and make people memorize it. People tell it in their own way and the key changes and the access. I mean, I know changes. the version that I tell
1: is at least slightly different from the one that you tell. Oh, I would so. expect
0: nothing less.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so no, I mean that's but that's what chaos magic has always been to me, is how do I how do I find something that works for me and then how do I take that experience and give it to others? And so that's I guess where that fits, if um, that makes any sense. So, no, I, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed the process of, of building stuff like that. But, yeah, that's, that's where I am today. And I think that a lot of the language around this that I'm really just now working through is a direct result of a lot of the accessibility stuff that I've been doing, trying to make things more accessible, trying to find ways to... In some cases, shame other people into making things more accessible.
1: Uh, hey, you use the tools you have. That's part of the adaptability. You do. I mean, it's shame isn't the best tool, but sometimes sometimes it's the tool that works. I mean,
0: <laughs> I, I learned a lot about accessibility by sitting in a room and being told a lot of things about accessibility and realizing just how far behind I was. You know, I mean, I'd never thought about it as a civil rights issue, which is exactly what it is, until someone actually put it in those terms. Yeah. And a light bulb went off and I said, well, clearly I have to do everything I can to fix this problem anywhere I encounter it. And I apologize if you've ever been the victim of that.
1: I <laughs> If I have it's been a good thing. does that? <laughs>
0: yes, I, I get that. It's it's one of those things that can be super uncomfortable to encounter. And
1: I took a whole so I took a whole class in college um, that was on uh, the English language and essentially, prescriptivism versus descriptivism in the English language. But the whole class was on challenging your worldview as a white person going into teaching. Yeah. And so, like, I've sat through those classes. I understand that it's uncomfortable to go through that process, but also
0: that it's a... It's a necessary thing. necessary thing. You, you have to be uncomfortable on occasion because that is... It is a tool for learning. And if you can't make people uncomfortable about something, sometimes they just will never get it. Yep. And it's it's super good at turning that dial and it goes all the way up to 11. And you're like, oh, that's why. Now I understand. And once you've seen that, once you've been on the other side of that, and you... I mean, it's never anything personal. The discomfort yeah. is never personal. It is... That's just, the
1: thing about systemic issues, right? Yes. Is just, it, <laughs> they're not... <laughs> it's not your fault that you're living in a place where you have privilege and other people don't. It's just you need to do everything you can to fix it.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. And so... And, and that's what magic has become to me, as partially as part of that experience, partially as part of the... The fact that, you know, I just, I, I love to share this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the best way to share stuff is to make it accessible. Yeah. I mean, in our last episode, we, we mixed everything down to mono. Because, I'm so glad you did that. I know, right? Because someone wrote in and, and, and just said, you know, I, I, I can't do this. And I'm like, well, then let's fix it, you know? And making it more accessible to somebody, uh, it pays dividends. It it allows you to share more. And I love the act of sharing. It's my favorite thing. And that's why all of my magic is really about that. Where I can make it so. I don't do magic for myself most of the time. It's very rare that I will stand in front of my altar and do magic for me. I am almost always doing magic for another individual. For my community. For my grove. For everybody. Because... That is what works for me. That's that's what I want to do with my time and my magic. Yeah. At some point, I think that we should also probably have a discussion, you and I, about what our practice of magic for others looks like. Because. I
1: mean, do you want <laughs> to hit the restart button or the stop and restart record button?
0: I mean, we could talk about on the way home. Huh? Let's do that because we're almost there. All right, so next episode, maybe.
1: Maybe, if we remember by the if time we get remember. back in the car. <laughs> Put it on the list.
0: Thanks for listening, and there's more to come.
1: We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org.
0: If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate.
1: Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Biershank.
0: Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org, and more about druidry at
1: adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes, and let us pray with a good fire.